Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is uh, Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Suttles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, recently, um, one thing that has caught my attention is uh, one of our longer-standing um, networks in the U.S., in Tacoma, Washington, which has been around about 15 years, uh, recently announced a new service, 100 megabit service, and at the same time, some news came out about how uh, CenturyLink, the, the major incumbent, uh, had some folks out telling people that the uh, Click Network was going out of business. Well, far be that from the truth, and so today we're really going to set the record straight on what's going on in Tacoma, but more importantly, talk about how um, all of you that have network projects that are just coming, getting ready to come online, you know, how do you make it to your 15th year anniversary? So today I'm, I'm happy to have two guests uh, with us to talk about uh, the network. Uh, one is uh, Tenzin Geltzen, who is the general manager of uh, Click, and he's been there uh, since I guess last year. And but he has spent many years in the, uh, the the cable TV business in San Bruno and in the industry uh, in general. So he is no newbie to this whole world of. Uh, internet and TV and uh, and all things related to uh, getting broadband networks out there. Um, my other guest is uh, Diane Lachelle, who is uh, Click's government relations manager, and she has been with Click since the beginning, back in '97. Uh, so she obviously has lots of experience and insight as to what makes for a successful network. So to the both of you, I say welcome and thank you for being on my show today. Nice to be here, Craig. Thank you. Nice to be on your show, Craig. Thanks for having us. Sure, not a problem. Now, I first wrote about um, the Click Network, I think, in '09, right about the time the the stimulus was getting in full swing. And, uh, again, one of the things that, that uh, drew me to it was the long time that it had been in uh, business. Let's talk about, you know, your origins, how you how this came to be. And in a short summary, you know, how have you managed to make it in spite of all the challenges and uh, so forth, you know, 15 years? That's a long time for any company, actually. So, uh Either, and either one, you can start the, the you know the the narrative on the history part. I'll let Diane do the history part because I'm a I'm a newbie. I mean, okay. So, <laughs> Diane. Um, well, the we're owned by a uh, municipal power company, Tacoma Power, and um, back 15, 16, really 17 years ago or so, uh, they had some need for connectivity to connect up 60 plus substations, power substations, to a central location so they had visibility into what was going on there. Tacoma Power has a 180-square-mile service area. So they went to the local phone company, which was U.S. West at the time, and the cable TV company, which was TCI at the time, and neither one of those two providers could offer the utility the services they needed. So the utility was really kind of stuck and uh, needed to get um, some reliability and some good, uh, something other than ISDN lines, some sort of um, connectivity back to an energy control center so they had visibility into what the power company, power side of the business was doing. So they decided to design a network for themselves and it was fiber-based and they had a little bit of experience but not much. And after uh, considerable research and market research, and then the Telecom Act of 96, which kind of allowed uh, the utility to get into their own business um, and then offer some retail services as well. I mean, that's a real shortened version of about um, eight years of research and data collection and, and checking in with uh, the local communities. What had happened here in the Puget Sound area, Craig, is that the two wireline providers, the phone and cable company, had upgraded their networks in Seattle, which is north of Tacoma, 
along I-5, Interstate 5, and in Olympia, which is the state capital, which is southwest of of Tacoma along I-5. And they had pretty much left Tacoma out. And at the time, we were the second largest city in the state. We had uh, pretty abysmal telecommunications services. So the utility, um, having been around almost 100 years at that point, having built their own um, power system and providing it to the community and building in their own water system and providing it to the community. This this wasn't out of the norm, but they really hadn't planned on it. It was purely out of necessity in 1996-97 in when the utility board and city council agreed with a power company uh, and allowed them to move forward, build their own, and then provide services in a very underserved community at the time. So it basically started with uh, a need to improve the power electricity management side of the business or the operational side of the business. And then, uh, lo and behold, when, when people start to realize that the telecom infrastructure needs improving, you already had the the core of it being the fiber network in the place, so why not just take that and expand it to uh, providing telecommunications? Is that a fair summary? That's, that's a fair summary, absolutely. In, okay. in the past, in the past, the utility relied on people to call them to tell them their power was out. That's not very efficient. So with a, a fiber network um, and a lot more uh, points of interaction with devices, the utility would know, maybe even before the customer knew, that something was wrong with the power side of the business. So that yes, that's the genesis of Click. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, as part of that uh, genesis, though, um, you have become uh, how can we how can we try? so so you basically have have gotten into the retail TV business, but you sell the internet uh, as a wholesale uh, or operate that as a wholesale business. This is also very interesting to me, and I think also to our audience. So explain that di- dichotomy a little bit. So. So essentially, uh, we have an open access network. Uh, our, we're open to uh, competitors providing services on our network, especially on the ISP side, uh, and also on the uh, Metro Ethernet or uh, higher speed broadband services. Uh, the cable TV part, as Diane was trying to explain, that there was a need in the community since the incumbent uh, uh, cable television provider wasn't doing a very good job in terms of upde- upgrading the network or providing a higher quality service. So. Uh, I think Tacoma Power at that point in time wanted to fulfill that need that exists within the community. So that's how we came about providing cable television services uh, um, as a retail service uh, directly to the consumer. Uh, And then as far as Internet services goes, uh, I I think there was a desire within the council and the board to open the network up to provide um, uh, competitors to provide services and provide choice within the community. And so... Today on our network, we have uh, three ISPs, independent ISPs, providing Internet services uh, directly to the consumer. They use our network uh, infrastructure, uh, provisioning software to manage subscribers, uh, and uh, essentially we have a wholesale uh, model uh, on, the, on the revenue side uh, with the ISPs. And similarly, on the, uh, we have a robust fiber uh, 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 system uh, where we provide both Ethernet uh, services and also Sonnet-based uh, services. And uh, that those type of services, again, offered through other wholesale customers. So we have four independent uh, wholesale customers that provide that type of service. So that's sort of how the – that's what our business model is today. Uh, it's I think we've had the same model for a long time. Uh, and, and for the most part, it, it works uh, uh, as, as intended. Definitely, I can see where that would uh, that that would be the case. Now, in terms of uh, you know looking at this genesis, um, the network in Chattanooga, which is a gig network run by their public utility, it too started with the focus on um, improving its power grid because they figured out that if they could just reduce the number of outages. Um, and and their responses to outages, it meant uh, roughly a hundred million dollars, eighty to a hundred million dollars a year to local businesses. 
which was significant, and so that became the driver. My question is, should other cities look at a migratory path, if you will, that says if you've got a public utility, do a serious look at the internal operations, determine if fiber uh, infrastructure can improve that in such a way to justify itself, and then expand out from that, either using a wholesale model, a public-private partnership, what have you, in order to then get um, get broadband out, does that look does that sound like a you know a viable recommendation? Well, um, I, I having been in the municipal uh, public side for the last eight or nine years, and also having worked in the private sector for a few uh, more years, uh, and, and that side of the business, uh, my my point of view is as long as there's competition in the market and there's a provider that is satisfying the needs of the consumer, uh, then uh, it's, it's not really um, – because, because a public utility, say, for example, if you're a power company, your core competency is really to provide power services. And as a municipal organization, your core competency is to provide municipal services that are fire, police, public works, libraries. Those type of, th- those type of services are your core competencies, meeting the needs of the consumer. So being in the telecom business, it, it's a – it's a different, uh, totally a different uh, approach to the business. So you're not only from a policymaker perspective or even uh, uh, municipal management perspective, you know, you have a different approach to how you provide services. And especially being in a telecom uh, side, it's really a cutthroat industry, uh, a competitive industry, and you need to be able to think and react and do things differently. So to have a network out there is one thing, and invest millions and millions of dollars building it. But then again, once you're out there, you know, you're still competing in a market that has a lot of competitors. So, you know, you have to be able to be uh, flexible and uh, uh, agile in terms of moving with the with the market. So, I think that's where you end up uh, uh, having a, some some challenge in terms of how you how you deal with that once you've deployed a network. So, you got to think about those type of things before you even go down the path of of uh, utilizing um, uh, or or going down the path of launching or deploying. Uh, telecom services. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the wholesale model makes it easier to run um, a, a, um, a solid business? What, what I mean by that is, uh, do you feel that as a, a wholesaler, that you don't get wrapped up as much into the tumble and, and upheaval that goes on being in a competitive market selling retail services? Mm-hmm. Well, like you mentioned, Chattanooga, Chattanooga Tennessee uh, system earlier. I mean, they have a system where they are. I think uh, uh, they have a full all retail model. They provide retail services, internet, cable, TV, phone, all at, at a retail level, uh, even probably higher capacity broadband services at, at, at retail. So when you uh, and then and the, yeah, they have you have other um, PUDs, etc., like Chelan uh, PUD in Washington area. They have a model that's all wholesale. So when you have a model, you know, um, we've selected a, an independent model where you want to be either wholesale or fully retail, then, you know, you kind of adapt your business model to deal with that. And, and, and then you, you have a certain uh, set expectations in terms of how you're going to meet your financial obligations. Um, so, uh, so having that, uh, it, then it, there's some clarity in terms of how you, how you approach the business. And, you know, generally when you build a, a, a very expensive network, you have certain payback expectations as well, um, so you build your model around it. Uh, so, in, um, so, so when you have a, um, uh, in our case, where we have a model that, that's a hybrid, where we have certain services that are retail, certain services that are wholesale, um, it, it's it's a matter of uh, us uh, finding the, you know, developing a strategy that works in terms of satisfying at the end, at the end of the day what the customer wants, uh, meeting a customer need in the market, and doing it because of that and not really uh, from a uh, purely from a, uh, a profit motivation perspective. Right, because you have that advantage being a utility and being, in essence, a public service is that the the, the profit uh, shareholder sta- uh, doesn't become, issue doesn't become a prominent thing that drives all of your decisions. Exactly, exactly. So even in our case, having provided cable television services for the last 15 years, and as you know, the cable industry has evolved a lot. Programming costs continue to escalate. Uh, you know, the broadcasters are charging uh, license fees for their service, even though 
they delivered free over the air to a lot of the people that receive the signal. Uh, so from a, from a retail cable TV business perspective, it's become uh, 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 very challenging uh, in terms of meeting the financial end of it. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, for us, since we don't have a profit motivation, we continue to provide a value-added service to the community while keeping uh, being an uh, additional competitor in the market uh, and keeping rates low. So even though the benefit does not necessarily end up on our balance sheet, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, the community community gets to enjoy the benefit of, of having a uh, municipally run cable operation providing high-quality, value-oriented pricing, and, and, and it's a tremendous economic value that ends up uh, that kind of stays with it, w- uh, within the community. Right, and uh, that has been one of my uh, contentions about the you know the value of a public owned uh, uh, business. You know, obviously it has to make enough money to sustain itself, but at the same time, it's in a better position. Uh, to offer called a more affordable service because that uh, that that you know profit model isn't the same. Now I do have to ask because I have been a uh, when, when people ask me about you know should they offer a triple play, my first inclination is to say uh, maybe not because the TV part of it can kill you. I mean, it is so difficult to, to get ramped up for it, to the, for the equipment and the infrastructure. Uh, you have customers who will leave you for a nickel difference in price or a special promo. I mean, it's hard to get and retain customers. So given all of that, you know, I ask people, do you really want to get into that business? Now, you folks are, are in that business. You know, granted, it was driven by need, but having been in it for a while, do you some days wish that maybe you weren't in that and that you were actually offering that wholesale rather than retail? Um, and here, here's the here's the thing. Um, once, as a, as a municipal com- company or municipal municipality, you've entered into the business of telecom, providing you know cable television services, broadband, internet, etc. Uh, you know you have to evolve with industry because you're in the business you, you know your customers have certain expectations from you in terms of the services that they want and you having been in the entered the business have an obligation to ensure the, the viability of the enterprise as well so you have to look at uh, all the different elements of the of, of the business and be able to respond to what the market is doing as well right okay. so so that that challenge um, exists so when you talk about uh, should we not have offered cable television services I mean that at this time to answer that question is is sort of you know past it's, it's moved it's a past mm-hmm. so we need to look forward in terms of what we need to do to continue uh, ensuring the viability of the, of the enterprise and delivering high quality service to the customers that they've um, um, used to expecting from us so our goal is to continue developing the product for move the product forward and over the last years I mean we've expanded uh, programming we provide VOD subscription VOD. Uh, multi-room DVR services, anything that's uh, uh, related to the video side. We have competition now not only from incumbent uh, um, uh, telecoms and and cable operators, but we also have over-the-top competition for video services. So that's a new um, challenge that not only us as municipal cable operators experience, but the industry as as a whole. And so um, what we need to do is we need to also think uh, ahead and see how we can be part of that, that evolution of the industry so we look at how uh, we may, you know, ourselves deploy a, uh, a web portal, uh, a internet-based product that the customers can uh, enjoy as well. So we're continuing to look at that and, and see what, what what we need to do from a, from a strategic perspective to respond to the changes in the in the market and to meet what the customers are asking for. And from a triple play perspective, yeah, I mean, as, as since we are hybrid, we cannot easily do a triple play because we say, okay, here you can have a cable TV services, but now go ahead and call three ISPs for the for, for the Internet service and for voice over IP telephone services. So we cannot easily do that. But, you know, we, we continue to explore ways we can work with the uh, independent ISPs to be able to satisfy that niche if, if the customers really need that. Uh, so, um, you know, the challenges in that, in doing that, but we continue to explore ways we can make that work because that's that's our reality for now. Mm-hmm. So if a community were to come to you and ask, uh, you know what should we do now? Granted, every community situation is different and should never be treated created uh, treated as in a, in a cookie cutter fashion. 
However, if someone were to say, you know, we're, we're thinking about doing this today, would you recommend people be uh, or communities get into the uh, table, the cable TV business uh, as part of a triple play? Would you recommend that they maybe outsource the cable TV services while they still maintain, uh, you know, ownership and control of the actual physical infrastructure? I think. Uh, that is a model, uh, maybe out of speaking out of school, but maybe a model that Chelan County is looking at because they, they actually own the infrastructure for the cable TV side, but they're looking for a private company to run it. Mm-hmm. One, of their, one of their stronger, uh, I guess, uh, more established Internet service providers to be able to do that. So, I mean, those models work as well. Um, and, you know, again, um, it's very difficult in this uh, arena for just to be a, a cable TV provider. I mean, you know, as you can see, most cable TV operators, uh, whether they are large MSOs or small independent companies, uh, are doing the triple play and able to do that. Uh, so to just be able to uh, be a video player, I don't think you're going you're gonna to be able to get that. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody want to be uh, a player in that unless they are able to control all of it and be able to provide... Uh, all, all type of uh, broadband services. Hmm. Okay. That's, um, my, that's my that's my opinion. Anyways, I, I think based on what I what I hear and what I know, I think that's sort of um, my impression. Right. Okay. I mean, no, I mean, I think that's you know it's valid. I mean, we all understand that uh, you know that you're offering you know one perspective, and so it's not again. I and I always tell people, and I'm sure you would always tell people as well. You know, in the end, you have to look at your own situation, your own market, your competitors or not. Yeah, I mean, as in, you know, which ones are there or not have competitors, whatever, and then make whatever the final uh, final decisions are. Um, I want to wind back a little bit to the uh, the early days. You know, we've got uh, you know, thanks to the stimulus, thanks to Google, thanks to a number of factors, a lot of communities bringing networks to to the point where they're about to launch these. And they may have uh, complete ownership as a community. They may be part of some sort of public-private partnership. Mm-hmm. What were some of the the challenges that that you you faced in the early days that you were able to obviously you know successfully overcome? But you know, but what were they, and how would you address them today? Um. One of our biggest issues early on was getting programming. Um, Since the incumbent provider uh, was also an owner of much of the programming, that became a little bit um, challenging and tricky. But um, but we got through it, and um, you know we didn't we didn't actually have to um, threaten anyone. But we had some strongly uh, worded language and some letters that went out from our legal department, which kind of encouraged uh, programmers to actually work with us one-on-one. So that was, you know, that was one of our early um, hurdles. A second one was equipment to actually build our facilities. So once the large incumbent uh, knew that we were actually going to start, you know, throwing fiber in the air and coax around, um, they gobbled up much of the of the product, and so we were way, way, way out on some deliveries, and that took a little while to kind of work its uh, work its way through. Um, I think the other big piece is that when you compete with an incumbent, uh, they obviously, I mean, when you're the second one into the market or the third one in the, into the market, you know, they're, they have some deeply established relationships um, and uh, they feel threatened, and so you know they're going to pull out all the stops. And in our early history, um, TCI, at which was early uh, when we started to build, and then it was AT&T, and now it's Comcast. All three providers um, throw big dollars at marketing and promotion, and for instance, door fees. Uh, with multiple dwelling units, apartment complexes, etc. And as a municipality, we're somewhat limited in what we can do. You know, there's the whole gift of public funds situation, and you know, we are very strategic. We have to work smarter. We don't just, you know, do a shotgun approach with lots and lots of dollars. Um, Tacoma is kind of a unique situation. We don't have like, you know, 
a TV station here or a radio station here. So it's it's in Seattle, and if you buy those markets in radio or television to kind of tell your story or to get your promotions out there, um, you know, it, it's it's a spillover. You're not using your dollars wisely. So we've had to be very strategic on how we market and how we keep our um, customers informed and how we keep the potential customers uh, aware of what our products and services are when you've got someone uh, with very, very deep pockets uh, competing head-to-head. So those are a few things that, that come to mind, Craig. Mm-hmm. Now, if you... I'm sorry, go ahead, uh, Ted. Okay, what I was going to add was, I mean, you know, what's happening in Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas, with Google building the fiber network down there, I mean, now you have, I mean, I've been reading articles where they're creating these fiber hoods. Again, so you have these big companies wanting to go and invest and build their networks uh, out in these communities, but then again, they're also looking for payback at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to just go willy-nilly build everywhere, and again, they're going to see where there's demand for it and then start building, you know, fiber hood by fiber hood in this case and, and start doing that. So, you know, uh, even though the, the pie-in-the-sky type of thing where you think that, you know, you're going to get this great thing everywhere, it, it's, it's again, everybody's looking at payback and, and, and long-term uh, return on investment before they start doing these type of things. And when I was in, in the Bay Area, we had the Cemetery uh, Telecom Authority, uh, a, a consortium of uh, all the municipalities there, uh, um, and a joint powers authority. Essentially, we had a lot of other, you know, these wireless companies wanted to come and build um, uh, wireless networks throughout the community, and they had these uh, wild uh, ideas of how they would uh, ensure their payback and, you know, basically providing free Internet service to everybody and then using uh, advertising dollars, you know, by putting a banner on every time somebody logs onto the Internet and then generating ad revenues. But those, all those models didn't pan out, and ultimately they end up going away. So maybe in this case of Google, and they have deep pockets, so essentially they can weather this type of environment. And at the end of the day, I mean, they're still going to look for revenues uh, from consumers, uh, again, competing in a market that's, where there's already an incumbent uh, provider of services. Mm-hmm. Now, I would assume that then the one of the things that comes out of the challenge, especially from a marketing perspective and, and how you are situated you know, not having mass media and Seattle being the nearest media market, uh, that re- that relies on some level of creativity in your marketing. Uh, was that the case, and what kinds of creativity did you uh, come up with in Tacoma? Well, in the early days, um, because the incumbent facilities were older and it was a one-way system and um, and they didn't have, quite frankly, a very good reputation, uh, the first few years of, of clicks growth um, were phenomenal, and it was a lot of word of mouth. And as we started to build, of course, we were visible. Um, we have a purple logo, and, you know, when people saw they had an option, they just kind of went crazy. And so we kept long, long early interest lists. And, uh, you know, we could only build neighborhood by neighborhood. And so it took us a couple of years, to, well, four years, to build out the city of Tacoma itself. We serve six jurisdictions or portions of six different jurisdictions around the city. Um, so early on, there was just this media frenzy. Our local uh, news tribune, the local daily newspaper, wrote about us, um, oh, at least once a week, um, and there were some interesting, um, you know, comments back and forth between us and the, the larger operator. Um, so it was a very public process as we built, and of course the utility has a great reputation, and we kind of followed on on the, the, the coattails of Tacoma Power's reputation, being very reliable and very customer focused. And so our communications to potential customers was excellent. You know, a lot of door hangers, we're going to be in your neighborhood, we had signage, we're going to be, you know, we're sorry for any inconvenience as we dig up your streets or we, you know, lay lay fiber around or string fiber. And so there was this, you know, kind of momentum of, of, of expectation around it. And we, and we, you know, treated everyone well, and we um, we delivered what we said we were going to deliver, and we delivered it for less money than the other provider could. And so we kind of built this reputation, and we still have an excellent reputation today. 
today it's a little different story because the uh, you know the large uh, cable operator that we compete head to head with has has a, an, an amazing advertising budget and marketing budget, and so you know uh, their advertising is everywhere. It's on the radio, it's on television, it's in their it's in our customers you know mailboxes every other week. So um, we've had to be creative. Um, we use a lot of transit advertising. We use uh, occasionally billboards. Um, we uh, we have a um, an, we're a growing number of internet uh, of customers with a, an internet account, and so we send them a, an electronic newsletter. Um, we have a lot of uh, organizations, community-based organizations that we have partnered with from the beginning, and these relationships really serve us well. We have a little local uh, movie house called the Grand Cinema, and we have a free um, movie once a month on a Saturday, and the place fills up. Sometimes it spills over into the next theater. So this is you know, for families and kids, and they're always family-friendly uh, movies. Um, we work really hard with an organization called Emergency Food Network with our Metro Parks Department. We have mobile, uh, click mobile movie uh, during the summertime and the evening where people can come and have a picnic and families and enjoy the you know, family-centric movies. We have uh, all kinds of, of really powerful, deep, uh, cross-promotional relationships with community-based organizations that have been around for years, the Boys and Girls Club, the YWCA, and those kinds of things. So we, we have to get creative because we have no other choice. We don't have a huge budget, and, um, and as you said, the mass media market um, really doesn't work well for us. So we, we do numerous things um, to get the word out and remind people that we are here, and people have choices. And we do mm -hmm. traditional marketing as well, traditional direct marketing in terms of direct mail pieces. Direct mail, sure. Bill messaging right. and this stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it good to, uh, to say that what you're describing, what makes sense is personal marketing? And what I mean by that is it's very much personable uh, and we are part of the community kind of marketing tactics. Absolutely. We call ourselves the local choice. So, yes, it, it's very personal. You know, and when you do have a choice and you can have, you know, you've got at least uh, three or four video providers in your local market and you've got, you know, twice as many Internet providers or three times as many Internet providers, you've got to connect with each customer in a in a meaningful way. And while the utility already has a relationship with that customer, both in power and oftentimes water, uh, we want to make that, you know, us be the third the third one they think about. You know, you've got to have power. That's kind of important. You've got to have water, most likely. Um, you don't have to have cable TV. You don't have to have Internet. Um, but if you do, here's a, an option uh, from a very reliable source and, Yes, we're we're homegrown. We're we're we are you in a way. You know, we're local. We're local. So we capitalize on that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Now let's while we're into the the subject of uh, you know us versus the big giants in the marketing realm. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, before we we went live. One of the things that caught my attention was this dance with CenturyLink's contractors going out and telling people that you were going out of business. Number one, how did you how did you hear about that? But more importantly, how did you um, put that to rest? Because I gather just asking CenturyLink nicely didn't uh, didn't catch much of attention at, at first. Before I turn it over to Diane and have her answer, because Diane was uh, really involved in, in addressing this issue for us. What I want to say is just going back to what Diane said earlier that you know we're really part of the community. We have this local presence. Uh, we're owned by the city, part of the Tacoma Public Utilities, Tacoma Power, uh, and people have uh, the our customers are very loyal to us. I mean, uh, despite the, all the competition that's out there, customers have a sense of ownership and lo loyalty to Click uh, and to and make sure that we succeed. So as soon as they start hearing things in, in outside that is not true. 
they always give us a call and let us know what's going on. So through that mechanism, we were alerted to what was going on, uh, uh, the things that uh, CenturyLink was undertaking. So as soon as we heard what was going on, Diane obviously, uh, you know, uh, took charge and, and uh, helped address the situation. So Diane can talk about more about what we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, once the call started coming in, we, we took it very seriously. And, of course, when our customers do call and say, hey, this just didn't sound right, or is this true? Um, so we start creating the, the database and making sure that we have the right information when in a description of the um, salesperson, et cetera. And then I contacted CenturyLink and fortunately happened to to, uh, to know that person because Tenzin and, and their VP, their Washington VP uh, sat on a panel together, um, Tenzin's first week here in, in the mm-hmm. state. And so we had a relationship, um, and we have a better relationship now. But um, they took it very seriously, um, and they said, well, that doesn't fit with our values. It, it doesn't make sense to us. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll go back to the contract sales team and, and tell them. Well, that went back and forth. The emails and phone calls went back and forth for about three weeks. And, um, you know, I did threaten going to the Attorney General's office um, because there is an official complaint process, and I said I would do that unless, um, you know, this stops. And fortunately for us and for our customer base and for CenturyLink, um, because they didn't want any more negative um, public uh, publicity because it was in the, in the News Tribune a couple of times, um, they took that contract sales team out of the click service territory. That was the only way they could ensure it. Uh, they could ensure that it wouldn't occur. So that was useful for us. That was helpful. Now we had another situation um, three, four years ago where the other local big cable company did the very same thing with a uh, contract sales team. And that didn't stop after a while, and so we did submit uh, an official complaint to the Attorney General's office, and it stopped immediately after that. So it's nice that we've got a couple of different pathways we can go, um, but I will say CenturyLink worked with us mm-hmm. on this. Mm-hmm. So looking over the history of Click, and uh, oh, oh, by the way, in the early days, were the did the incumbents pay any attention to you? Because in a lot of markets, a lot of small smaller communities and and small towns will start a project and the incumbents will ignore them for a while uh, for for a number of reasons, but they just kind of like let it go. And then they turn around and get all bent out of shape and then all of a sudden the counter-marketing starts. For Click, what was it like in the beginning? Did the incumbents take notice at the beginning or when did they start to really respond to what you guys were doing? The, the cable operator took immediate notice and in fact um, the CEO of TCI came to uh, city council meeting to um, to try to dissuade the the council, um, and that didn't work. Uh, and in fact, that um, that really kind of helped our cause because then the city realized, oh my gosh, if the CEO is coming in, they they must be scared. So it actually kind of backfired on them. But really, um, the cable operator was um, attentive. And um, and tried different tactics from the beginning. The phone company, on the other hand, at the time U.S. West um, was up for sale and really wasn't paying attention. We never really saw them, um, you know, on the horizon in, on the landscape at all. So um, so that was the situation then. Today it's a little bit different. Both both uh, uh, phone and cable operators um, are certainly aware of what we're doing and, and watching our marketing and counter-marketing as well. So to give people maybe a, uh, a bit of a battle plan, okay, again, I'm, you know, because a lot of our audience, a lot of the, the Gigabit Nation audience are people who are building networks, getting ready to go live. You know, they haven't been, a lot of the people involved haven't been where you are. What kind of a... I don't know, call it counter-marketing plan should communities have with the expectation that, but in these days, you know, they're going to get competition and pushback either above board or, you know, below board pretty much right away. What's the battle plan, or what should a battle plan include? Well, um, I mean, from research we find that, you know, customers uh, 
definitely don't like negative ne- negative advertising. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be at a uh, where we're talking um, saying negative things about the incumbent. It's similar to what happens in the political arena. You mm-hmm. want to stay away from the negative ads uh, in order to you know you want to really tout the benefits that you provide as, as a service provider. Uh, so that, I think that that's paramount. Uh, and then again, the advantage that um, the communities, municipalities, etc., have is that we don't necessarily have a uh, uh, a motivation is not the uh, stockholder profit uh, generation uh, motivation. It's essentially, it's really providing a high quality service to meet the needs of the community and ensuring that we recover our costs. So from that perspective, you can really price your uh, product competitively within the marketplace. Uh, obviously, there's going to be you know um, the incumbents uh, having these teaser offers out there, and those only last for uh, only uh, for so long. So depending on who your competitors are, I mean, you, you can, uh, you know, long-term do well in terms of your low-cost uh, pricing model. So those are a couple of things that I can think of that, you know, uh, that immediately come to mind that are easy and effective things to do. Always know your competitor. You know, m- make sure that you know what the incumbent phone company is doing. Make sure you know what the incumbent cable operator is doing. Make sure that you know what their offer is at any one time. So you've got some uh, individual resource in your organization who's always scanning the landscape. So you've got the latest offer so you can be responsive. So that's another piece that's important, making sure that every employee that represents you um, is trained in excellent customer service and, and doing just what Tenzin says, making sure that you don't slam the other guys, that's not going to benefit you at all, but that you um, promote your own services and remind people why you are better, why you're unique, uh, and why they should go with you. And thank your customers when they do. Yeah, and from a strategic perspective, I think you want to you know, keep your uh, fingers on the pulse, continuously monitoring the landscape and the horizon to see what's coming up next. Even though you might have a plan moving forward, make sure that the plan is flexible and adaptable to what's changing, and because you want to be, if not at the at the bleeding edge, but at least cutting edge, so that you're able to de- deliver the latest and greatest services that c- consumers are expecting uh, from you. Mm-hmm. I, I think one more thing, Craig, and that is um, making sure that at every opportunity that the staff of the municipal operation educates, informs mm-hmm. the policymakers, because the policymakers have a very different view of their role, and they have a very different role, obviously. Um, they, they have so many topics that they're thinking about. Um, the municipal operator is thinking about um, the services that they provide, and they really need to offer an educational opportunity every corner, every time, every time they're in front of those policymakers to remind them uh, the business and what the business is today and why it's important to the policymaker and what the consumers are saying and what they're expecting, etc. And things are moving pretty fast. It's a very dynamic industry. It will never stop, um, you know, it will never stop growing and changing. And so being nimble and keeping policymakers informed is essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, now, when you say policymakers, uh, I think we tend to default, like automatically think about Washington. But the policy, there are local. How local does policymakers go? When you say you need to influence that group, is it the? Uh, do you consider city council policymakers, or is it mainly like a state? You know, sort of at the state level, you have this body of people who make policy that affects what happens down at the local level. Well, for Click, it's it's all, and for us, it's a pu- public utility board and it's a city council both, and it's city councils in all of the the cities that we provide services. It's county council, it's state legislators, and it's Congress as well. So it's really all levels of of our Mm -hmm. food chain, if you will. And Hmm. Click is in six different franchise areas. Basically, we are not only uh, primarily in Tacoma, but we also have services in Lakewood, Furcrest, Fife, uh, Pierce County, and university place. So those are the other areas where we provide services services as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, wherever Tacoma Power services are, we are sort of um, in together with them, uh, kind of follow that um, uh, service territory. Mm-hmm. How did you, I'm going to jump around here a little bit, how did you structure your relationships with the providers 
that you are selling wholesale services to? And, uh, and, and I ask this question in the context of Utopia in particular because I think they're one of the more well-known uh, projects out there, and initially they had a, a wholesale model that they then had to dramatically uh, revise and go back out the door with it a second time before it, it, it gelled for them. Um, but but how did you folks deal with that particular or those relationships? Um, the, currently, the way uh, our our relationships are structured is that we provide essentially the backbone, the internet backbone. We host uh, the cable modem termination systems uh, for all the cable modem services that are out there. We provide the provisioning tool where how they manage the customer base. We provide the IP space um, so they can reach the internet. Uh, so essentially, from a back office perspective, we provide everything, um, including the network, um, and we provide a lot of customer service support as well. Uh, we provide um, uh, essentially uh, managing connects, disconnects, going out and actually uh, doing the uh, data drop uh, to the home. Uh, we do that, and then essentially the ISPs um, do the marketing. They provide the cable modem to the customer, and uh, uh, and then uh, manage uh, support, take support calls related to the Internet services. So, you know, first call goes to the ISP, they troubleshoot it, and they find that uh, there is a, if it's a network issue, then they escalate it to us, and then we respond um, either by looking at what's going on within the network um, and, and, and if necessary, dispatch technicians to go address the issue. Uh, and so uh, that's how that works. And, and and basically, we bill them a wholesale rate on a per-customer basis, uh, which uh, the ISPs turn our market up and to ensure their own profitability. Uh, and then uh, that's sort of how the, the, the financial side of, of it works. And generally, we've had long-term agreements with them, uh, and a couple of them have expired. We're looking at um, uh, uh, seeing how we uh, handle uh, the contracts going forward. We're looking at, looking at our pricing structure as well. Uh, to ensure that um, we are fully recovering our costs um, um, that that we invested to build the network, so those things are happening right now. Mm-hmm. Now, do you ever have a, uh, or could you have a situation where the interest of the ISP runs counter to your interest? And and, and I uh, ask this question from the perspective of um, Jackson. Oh, is it Jackson? Um, there's a community in Tennessee where the um, utility person, the manager of the utility per, uh, um, company there, said that one of the issues can be uh, it's not in the ISP's interest to increase the number of customers at a certain point. You know, they have a certain break-off point when they say, you know, it's like diminishing returns on, you know, the ability to service certain customers and so forth. But if the relationship between the wholesaler being you and the ISPs is such that you need them to, in essence, keep up or increase the number of customers so that you keep increasing revenues, you know, and this sort of as an example, um, is there a way to prevent uh, that kind of a situation where you know the ISPs are going one way or not, as the case may be, and you need them to go in a different direction, but you don't necessarily have a lot of leverage. I think the best. I mean, obviously, we want to see every. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that our, our investments are fully covered, that our costs are being fully covered. Uh, there's a huge cost in running a large network. I mean, we have, in terms of just the network itself, we have 1,600 miles of plant that, that needs to be maintained, even though, you know, individual uh, ISPs may only utilize the cable modem part of it, but it all rides on a plant that has to be managed and kept up and maintained. Uh, so there's a huge cost associated with that. Um, and in terms of t- changing technology, the cable modem system needs to be updated regularly, periodically, to meet the latest and greatest needs. As as you know, we just launched uh, DOCSA 3.0, 100 megabits per second services. In order to do that, there's an investment that needs to be made. So those costs need to be need to be um, uh, recovered. So, um, so, that, so with the with the um, uh, ISPs, it's really a matter of uh, talking, uh, having open dialogue, communicating, uh, uh, and th- that's some of, some of the things. I mean, in it, some, in, I guess we might have been weak in that area uh, in the past in terms of how we communicated and kept uh, open communications, but. Uh, my role has been to open that up uh, and open the dialogue with the ISP so that we both are um, making decisions that uh, ultimately 
are in the best interest of the customer. Uh, so that's that's a key thing uh, that that's occurring. Um, so for me, it's really um, uh, communications, and in terms of growth, um, we, we like to see them grow. Grow. I mean, sometimes businesses achieve a certain amount of uh, where they want to see themselves be at, and once they hit that target, they're comfortable with it. Uh, but again, um, you know, we uh, at the end of the day, I have to ensure that the Click's financials are healthy. Uh, Click um, long term is a viable enterprise, uh, so they would continue to meet the needs uh, of our community. So we have to look at our business model and our, and our finances in a holistic manner and say what is the best thing we need to do. So from that perspective, is that, is that, does that mean um, you know looking at a pricing structure uh, to ensure the overall viability of the enterprise, looking at uh, you know uh, the ISPs having to grow customers, um, that type of thing. And in, in being on the cable TV side of the business, I mean it's been hard the last I, I'd say the last uh, five to ten five to ten years where. You know, there's increasing competition. Satellite has always been a competitor. You have now um, telcos entering the business, uh, providing uh, video services, and then you have now you have uh, on top of that you have you have over-the-top services. So the video business has been really tough, um, especially when you're trying to keep uh, prices low for consumers. And so holistically, you need to try to ensure the the business model works so that the enterprise doesn't fail um, in the end. So the fact that we have a hybrid business model. You know, and and we have to work closely with all of the not only the ensuring the best interest of the retail customer, but also working with the wholesale customers to make sure that you know both of us are working together to ensure the viability of that price because their future is also uh, uh, tied to our future. If if Click fails, then they don't get the network anymore. So we both have to work hand in hand, whether it means uh, driving revenues or driving customer base. Uh, uh, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, we've got about oh, seven, eight minutes here. You're now offering 100 megabits per second. Does that mean that every, all three of the ISPs will be offering that amount, or is that what's available to the three ISPs to share? Right. How does that 100 megabits translate out to the actual yeah, community? Yeah, I, I, I want to correct myself. When I say we're offering 100 megabits per second, mm-hmm. I mean we're not really the ISP that, or, or selling to the end consumers. Essentially, we have enabled... Uh, through uh, you know um, deploying technology within our head end, uh, the upgrading our CMTSs, etc., and our other infrastructure to ensure that now we can provide Doctor 3.0 services. So uh, our network is capable of providing 100 megabits per second services, and we've made that available to the ISPs. The ISPs have developed products uh, at that rate and slower speeds, uh, and they're offering it uh, to the customers. So they're all three ISPs. Uh, can't sell that product today. Mm-hmm. So, but but in terms of, I mean, what do you expect the end user to be offered? Like, you know, 30 meg services by each of the three ISPs, will they all offer 100 megabits each? I mean, yeah. uh, how do you see it translating out to the customer? Right. So basically, we have opened a network to, to have that cap- capability. And essentially, you know, we want to kind of, as much as possible, you know, stay uh, stay out of the way in terms of how they price their product, how they package their product, because, I mean, uh, we don't we don't, we don't want to influence how because these are all three independent companies mm-hmm. and we really don't want to influence how they price their product because if if they all set the same pricing they all set the same product then you know what's what's the benefit to the consumer so really uh, to have healthy competition uh, we've tried to stay away from their marketing campaigns uh, they can develop whatever marketing campaign they want in terms of pricing uh, here's a product they can choose. How they want to establish their product, we've created that flexibility, and I think a lot of times, uh, I've, my my uh, my experience is that they end up having similar type packages because the industry kind of does the same thing. Uh, you know, you know, there's a 10 meg package, a 12, 15 meg package, 25 meg, you know, 30 meg, 55 meg, 100 meg. So you can you tend to see that um, uh, just uh, you know following industry trends. So I don't know whether there's going to be a whole lot of uh, Unique choices out there, but uh, you know they all have the flexibility to do uh, do that. Mm-hmm. But the, the the net of it all is, if you've got three recognized competitors that are on fairly even footing, <clears throat> they're able to offer a fairly decent amount of uh, price affordability as a as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, since we provide. Price up, uh, wholesale pricing competitively, really uh, not a whole lot of, you know, there's not a profit motivation behind it. So, you know, and, and in terms of us being fair, uh, 
in, in our pricing, we pretty much price our products similar. The same thing, I mean, all the ICs get the same pricing. So it's really up to them how they want to compete in the market and how uh, they want to generate customers. Uh, so we leave that up to them. Mm-hmm. Now, how do they fare against CenturyLink? So if CenturyLink is the big dog, you've got three smaller dogs, but are the, are the smaller dogs able to hold their own? Uh, you know, I'll leave that to you, Craig, if you want to call them dogs, but I, I wouldn't call oh, them. Oh, well, I, I, I didn't mean them dead. <laughs> no, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm just using I don't want to be accused of calling my wholesale customers dogs. So, well, so I, okay. I, I'll, <laughs> say that, I'll say that they're, they're um, in terms of how they compare to, uh, I, I find them, uh, they're very valuable customers of ours. And uh, and in terms of how they compete with, uh, with the CenturyLink, I mean, currently they're looking, CenturyLink obviously upgrading their network. They're uh, looking at providing video services down the road, et cetera. And their product really is still uh, analog-based, uh, providing, um, uh, you know, uh, signer-based services, providing um, uh, T1s, et cetera, for uh, their Internet services. Uh, and so um, the ISPs uh, are able to compete effectively against them, especially our, our, our wholesale broadband customers in terms of uh, providing a higher capacity uh, Ethernet, Metro Ethernet services uh, to that segment as well, and so we're also uh, looking at uh, uh, using the cable modem uh, system uh, and providing uh, something called BSOD, uh, which is business services over DOCSIS, uh, and opening up that platform so that now we can start providing uh, similar products as uh, as the telecoms, uh, synchronized uh, uh, synchro- um, synchronized services where we have both. Um, uh, same speed up and down, um, like uh, two up, two down, four up, four down type of services to compete again in the uh, T1 T1 area. And you know some businesses may not necessarily need a 10 meg or a 50 meg Ethernet uh, connectivity. Basically, they might want something that's smaller, uh, and 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 in, they don't want to pay 350 dollars for a T1, and they want to be able to you know get a lower price services. So we're looking at uh, creating that capability uh, within our network so that our wholesale customers can sell those products as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got about three minutes left. In two minutes, can you give us, um, you know, one piece by each one of you, give us one piece of advice for how other community networks can make it to their 15th anniversary? Provide the very best service possible. Uh, listen to your customers and what they really want. If you have flexibility in providing the services they want, then do. Um, and... Uh, be responsive. You know, it's you get to build a relationship one at a time with your customer. Certainly, our, you know, people are much more mobile than they've ever been. They're transitory. Certainly, are in our neck of the woods with a couple of uh, with an air force and an army base close by. Uh, but it kind of depends on on the area. Some people stay in their homes uh, for a long, long time. Build the relationships. Remind them. Uh, Remind them why they made that choice, because they do have choices. Yeah. And, I, and I would say, really, um, you know, having a very, um, you know, planning has to be really, really solid. I mean, think think about your business strategically. Uh, you know, look at what's on the horizon, as I said earlier, uh, and, and provide, and, you know, staying up to date uh, um, on the technology, making sure that you're providing, uh, ensuring your networks, um, the future of your network, and also providing uh, high-quality service. Uh, the, the other thing is that, as you mentioned earlier as well, making sure your your uh, uh, policymakers are informed. You know, your your boards, your city council, they know exactly what's going on with your business, uh, giving them information, information that they need to make uh, sound decisions. Um, and then um, also I would say that, um, uh, you know, continue to communicate with the community. To, to Although they're very loyal to you uh, and they have, they have a sense of ownership uh, for your network to continue to emphasize that, uh, uh, appealing to, 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 to them to say, you know, in, in our case, so we, we were at about 25,000 customers a few years ago. We're down to about 22,000 customers today. So we've had impact from competition. But if if each of our customers that are loyal to Click went, went to, were to go to their neighbor and say, you know, I, I enjoy having Click, you know, look at it's, it's a local-based service, it's a community-based service, and they were to go and talk to the, their neighbor and, and have them switch over to Click easily, I mean, they could enjoy the benefit that Click offers to them. So if, if tomorrow all of our Click customers were to go and talk to the neighbor and say that, that are not a Click customer and say switch to Click, we could double in size tomorrow and really um, 
uh, and all of the uh, whole community would be enjoying the benefits of what Click offers. Excellent. And with that, I have to wrap up our show. Thank you, um, Diane and Tim. This has been extremely valuable, and I hope to speak with you again one of these days. So have a great day, and thank you to our audience for being here and to our sponsor, Team Fischl. Uh You've all been great. See you next next show. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Craig.